Convention Friends. The episode you're about to hear was created prior to the enactment of the Well-Ordered Society Act. It is maintained here as a record, an archive, and a legacy of the wandering aimlessness that preceded our current predicament. It represents one step of many on the evolutionary journey from inherited defaults to holy, blessed, righteous surrender in the service of play. Enjoy. Oh no. The clock is good for no one. The poor die and the rich don't live. We can all live forever as long as we don't do anything foolish. Doesn't that scare you? That maybe you'll never do anything foolish or courageous or anything worth a damn? That is Amanda Seyfried's rendition of the character Sylvia Weiss, who is one of the main characters in Andrew Nicole's movie In Time. Uh, first of all, I just want to start with a great big heaping of gratitude to Mr. Nicole. I don't know for sure if that's how you pronounce his last name. Uh, if you go to his Wikipedia, which I will link for you kindly in the show notes, um, you'll see that his name is Andrew Nicole, born in New Zealand, and he is the uh, producer, director, and screenwriter of In Time. Uh, this movie, In Time, more or less is a, a, a movie about a society where time is the primary currency. The main character, his name is Will Solace, played by the wonderful Justin Timberlake. Uh, he starts the movie out talking monologuing about uh how time has become the currency in this this universe and you know it's a it's honestly kind of a great movie um so thank you mr nicole for this wonderful movie because it is delicious and for those who haven't seen it i highly recommend that you do go see it and you're in luck because i've linked to it also in the show notes so go check that out on uh whatever platform you prefer uh, in any case, the reason we start with that quote, the reason I start there is because um, I want to talk about this. Episode three is an episode that I was really excited to get to because it's kind of been the whole point. Uh, it's not the whole point. That would not be true for me to say. It's not the whole point. This episode is an episode I've been really excited to get to, and the reasons for it are some of where I'd like to take all of us in appreciating our creativity and our curiosity and our sense of community and, and really just finding a, reasons to be grateful. Um, there's a sort of flow that I've been trying to guide us all along on, you know, we're all in this together and I want to be your, you know, your Sherpa on this journey towards increased gratitude in your life. And we, you know, we sort of began with, creativity and all that jazz. In the last episode, I talked about desire, uh, you know, kind of the, the dichotomy, the dichotomy. It's not a dichotomy. They're not opposed. Let me look this up. Does dichotomy require opposition? Hmm. A division or a contrast. So they are contrasted and by nature, I suppose, also divided. But let's just call it a dichotomy because I'm pretty sure I used that word in the last episode and that kind of works for my purposes. I don't want to be too pedantic here. The dichotomy between what and how is what we covered last time. I don't need to go into this long exposition, do I? I'm going to do it anyway for me. And then in this episode, I want to talk about time 
time and and really value man there's so much to this that i don't know quite where i want to start so i started with this movie in time um because it's such a great portrayal of society and you know they do this fun thing where they've replaced money with time and then that's you know it's a cool story right you, you get all kinds of good stuff i'm totally not going to spoil it there's no spoilers in this episode um well yeah there's no spoilers there are some quotes from later on in the movie but i'm not going to give you context plot context for when i say those quotes because i really do want you to go watch it it's a great movie seriously like pause right now make a note to watch this movie because man, it's great. So thank you to uh, Mr. Nicole for writing and directing it. And also thank you to the cast, Mr. Timberlake and uh, Miss Seafried uh, and Matt Bomer. He's also in it. Cillian Murphy. Great cast, honestly, really great cast. Oh man. Time is currency. Uh, there's, you know, there's this concept of like the rich living forever. So I like this because in our world, um, when we think about some of the potential obstacles to people's creativity, the things people we feel like are obstacles to our creativity, a lot of time, a lot of time, a lot of the time, the obstacles we perceive to our creativity are a function of time. Hey, 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 look at all that time. There's going to be a lot of fucking time in this episode. Um, man. <laughs> This is, I'm like losing my mind with this. This, this is a wonky concept. I mentioned in the last episode how we fill our time with activities in order to achieve some sense of success. I called it crossing some arbitrary line or some goal we've set for ourselves so that we will feel confident and stable enough to then use our time on the things we want. So we do stuff, we use our time for stuff we don't want so that we can hopefully use our time for stuff we do want. And you know, I'm like, why don't we just use our time for the stuff we do want, right? That seems to make sense. Why add in that extra step? Um, and you know, there's a certain level of like, if you strive for something, uh, there's an element of maybe that having some sense of giving you some sense of fulfillment and satisfaction. Um, I have certainly felt that myself. However, um, time itself is just this beautiful and precious thing. Um, and so we're here in this topic because I have been asked in the past uh, how I spend my time. I've also been asked in the past um, about money. And, and I think in my last few years, understanding what money is understanding what value is and understanding time as this what i would call the great denominator to everything man it's been such a fun ride um an enlightening ride it's helped me to really grasp um what's important to me and what's important in life and that's what i'm sort of here to share with you all i did say in the first episode how uh i spend a lot of my time chewing on ideas you know i i think i do kind of see the the collective knowledge of humanity is this grand feast and those folks out there who have made that knowledge more accessible to me um and to more of us i see them as these chefs these masterful chefs who've 
you know, between the people who author this content and create informational content, um, and then the mech, the people who create the mechanisms by which we consume it, um, it really is like chefs preparing a delicious feast for us. And then we get to sit at this huge table um, and we use, you know, these interfaces like our smartphones to access these ideas and we get to chew on them. So, uh, you know, I spend a lot of my time chewing on ideas and it's just cool, right? To me, time is the great denominator. When you're born, you're, you know, you come out of the womb and you're there, right? And as soon as you pop out, there's a, you know, this ticker, this clock that's coming. And, you know, I, the clock is good for no one. I'm going to come back to this quote from Sylvia Weiss. The clock is good for no one. I don't know that I agree with her that the clock is good for no one, but I do think the way she's using it is actually very eloquent there um, because there's this feature uh, in this, in this society where time is the currency, people have this distinct awareness of how much time is left in their wallet. Let's, let's call it their wallet. You know, they, they, it has this concept of like a watch. You look down at your wrist, you can see your, your total time that you have to spend. And then that's like, you know, that'd be like checking your wallet or checking your bank accounts balance every so often. And so when you're born, you're born in this state where, you know, from your perspective, you basically have all the time in the world, you know, you're born and all you want to do is kind of like, you know, eat and shit and cry. Um, you don't yet want to fuck, but <laughs> you do want to eat and shit and cry. So that's what you do. Um, and then, you know, there's this ticking clock. You, you age, your parents raise you, you get older, and then you kind of end up on the slide we talked about in the last episode, the slide towards success, where the expectation is you do step A, step B, step C, you accomplish your goals, you succeed and you retire happily or something. Um, some version of that, right? I realize that's not the only path we push on our, our young, but it's a, it's a version of that. I get asked about money and, and in addition to all the other things I mentioned about it, it's really been this understanding of like, what is money? How does money work? How does it work in, uh, you know, modern American society and how should I think about money? Um, and, and I think relatedly value. So just close your eyes for a second with me and think about this in space in front of you. You have three things, three words, time, value, and money. And, you know, I think they're all related. I think that, um, time is sort of the base, right? It's the base material. It's the great denominator. And I say that it's the great denominator because it's the only thing that we all share. We all share time. We don't share anything else really. So let's say you are a believer in uh, the, the idea that we don't actually perceive reality as reality occurs, whatever the fuck reality means. Um, if you want to understand more about how this might work, I highly recommend you check out this book called The Case Against Reality by Dr. Donald Hoffman. Let's just assume that we all perceive the world differently. Let's, let's simplify it. I'm not going to go too deeply into that. Maybe at some point I will, but not in this episode because we've got a lot of ground to cover. Um, we all perceive the world very differently. We all come from different genetic and cultural and environmental backgrounds, which means, you know, there's not a lot we share in terms of uh, how we might, like what we see when we look out the world through our eyes. Um, this is a very good thing. This means that there's... Uh, this inherent diversity with each new human being where each person has a unique lens through which they see the world. That means there's a unique bit of creativity they can bring. 
That means that there's a unique bit of insight we can bring. It means that there's unique beauty we see. Um, if beauty is in the eye of the beholder, then we've got 8 billion sets of eyes to give us different insight into the vast and, and marvelous beauty that exists in our universe. So I like that. I think that's great. I mean, frankly, I just think that's great. I don't know. If, I mean, if that, if that doesn't fill you with a sense of awe and, and you know, gratitude, uh, what would? Um, let me know. If you heard that and right now and you're just like, man, that doesn't, that doesn't fill me with awe and gratitude. I want to know what does fill you with awe and gratitude. Because it's okay if the things that make me feel that way don't make you feel that way. Um, so what's cool about that is that we can all come up with something creative. We all have something to add and we all have something beautiful we can see in the world that literally no one else can see. Um, there is a potential difficulty in, well, what do we share? How do we relate? Right? And so society, like what is society? What is human connectedness? What is community? What is this thing we do when we're all like collaborating and working together and not even, not just in like a primal sense, but in a, in a grand sense, you know, I talked about in the first episode how it's awesome that we're able to destroy the planet many times over because we've just, as a species of collective, collaborative, co-creative beings, that's just the power we have. And I think that that power is not terrifying because the concept could lead one to being terrified. Um, it's not terrifying, though, because of what it signals about our potential to do massive, massive good on a similar scale. We could save the planet many times over. That's how I like to think of, um, I, I don't know, I guess the, the terror that you could feel from our, our nuclear, the various nuclear arsenals around the world. The potential disjoint pain point obstacle that comes from that same benefit, though, is it's, it's hard to find common ground. Um, a lot of our conflict with one another stems from not being able to find common ground. And then we add on top of that fundamental, I don't even know what you'd call it. We build on top of that fundamental deficiency to rationalize and justify some of the horrible things we might want to do to one another. So what do we share? What's our reference, a shared reference point? Well, we've been talking about time. And, you know, as this movie eloquently demonstrates, elegantly, eloquently, beautifully, reverently, awfully, in like the I'm full of all way, not the that's awful in a bad way way. Um, bad way way. Um, Time is this denominator we can share. We're all born and the, the clock starts ticking. We know that all men die. We have that sense it's baked into us biologically and socially. And so we can all kind of share the sense that we're all born and we're all going to die. And we can count however many times the sun comes up or whatever other you know periodic thing that we happen to notice. And we can build systems of time around it. And then once we have that, we can slice it up into these little pieces where we say, all right, you know, Joe Blow's got X amount of slices on the periodic thing we're tracking against, you know, from when Joe Blow was born until Joe Blow dies. And we, and then, you know, because that's only so convenient, we build other layers of abstraction on top of it, like money. So, you know, the phrase time is money. You've heard, I'm sure if you're an American, um, you know, if you're in the United States, you've heard that before. God, I keep saying American. Um, if you've heard that phrase, time is money, then you know, which, you know, you get the sense of that, but it's like, I don't know. It's like, what does that mean? What the fuck does that even mean? 
Um, yeah, I've thought a lot about this, it turns out. As it turns out, I have become a glutton on the ideas around this very topic. Um, and I think there's a couple ways to look at it. And the movie kind of goes into this. Uh, but I'm, again, we are not going to go in a direction that could lead to spoiler alerts. So I'm not going to go into it in the movie's context, but there's sort of two different ways I think you can take this uh, understanding that we have time. So to recap, because I, I feel like I ramble a bit, I'm going to recap just so that I, uh, if for no other reason than when I'm editing this, I can know what the, where the fuck I was going with this. Time is the denominator. It's the base material we all share as a point of reference in um, what is otherwise distinct realities we all perceive from our unique perspectives. Time, however, is, is this like indistinct thing. Um, there are qualities we can give time that, that bring back distinction, but the fact that we're all born and then we all die means that we can choose literally any periodic measurable thing as a way to um, segment time, and then we can, you know, we can assign some kind, we can use that as, as a way to relate to one another. When I think about money, money is just a representation of that. Um, it's, it's not perfect though, right? And that's because, you know, again, we closed our eyes, we visualized time, money, value, time, value, money, whatever. You could order them however you want. Um, I guess if you were going from bottom to top, I'd say time is the base. Um, time is the stake and then like value is the salt on the stake and money is what you pay for <laughs> afterwards. So, so that's kind of what money is on top of time, right? Um, what is value, right? And is money value? Like we don't say value is money. We say time is money. Um, does money have any value? What has value? Does time have value? Do I have value? Um, these are questions we might ask ourselves. So I'm just going to, you know, what do I think? What subtle notes of flavor do I taste in the ideas I've chewed on? And maybe, maybe it'll be insightful for you. Frankly, I mean, to me, I divide it in two ways. And I'm, I say I'm back now at this like two ways thing, which means somehow I went through this tunnel of tangent away from that to get back to it. But did I need this tunnel? Hmm. Am I wasting your time? Am I wasting my time? Can time be wasted? Can we even answer that without answering the like, what is value question? Um, God, I swear I'm not high right now. <laughs> I swear. I'm actually not though. I'm just tired. It's one in the morning because I do these when it's late or when it's early. I only ever do these between like 1 a.m. and 5 a.m. That's ridiculous. I'm, I'm normally not even up in those hours. That's not sustainable. Oh my God. I can't have an unsustainable process for recording the podcast where I only record it in hours I'm not awake and don't want to regularly be awake for. Goodness. Okay. Back to the meat. I think of value as being how you can enrich time, right? And so we, we kind of talked about like the, the two things. There's like, and I didn't even talk about what the first one. The second one is value. Sorry, when I think about time, I think about, hey, I can, I can, I can, measure time i can assign two time properties that are like that are two twofold right one property i can assign to time is quantity you could say joe blow is born and joe blow will die and then you could you could look at that period of time because we don't know how long that's going to be we do know 
how long, for instance, it might take for the Earth to circle the sun. Is that how that works? Yes. Well, we do know that. That's that's the year. And then the Earth rotates. So we do know how, um, if I'm sitting on one single spot on the globe that it'll take roughly 24 hours for the Earth to rotate. And then that's like a sun cycle that we see from the ground, which we call like the sun rising and falling. But it's really just that we're moving. The sun is also moving. But in relation to what we're seeing, we're moving much faster because we're closer to the Earth. Hashtag Einstein's theory of relativity. Um, and I probably fucked that up too. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I didn't look that up and I'm not going to. We could assign the property of quantity to Joe Blow's time. We could say Joe Blow has approximately whatever the fucking life expectancy is. Average life expectancy, United States. That's how we're going to resolve this. 77 years. So we could say that Joe Blow has roughly 77 years quantity of time. Um, another way, an, another way, properties. So I need to talk about this in terms of properties. There are two properties we can assign to time. There's the property of quantity, which we've discussed. And then the other property we could give time is value. Um, so value is interesting because value can manifest itself in different ways. And I actually don't think that the relationship between value and time is necessarily reducible. And what do I mean by that? It means that um, essentially what the details of, if this were an equation and you were solving for the variables of value or time, um, I think what you'd get is like not a simple way of, of, you couldn't just like reduce it down and like, you know, do the normal way you solve equations. Um, because the, the value, the, the value, the value of value, um, the, the meat, the substance of what value means is dependent on the other variables in the function and, and how they might change. So here's an example. We're going to, it's, this is easier to talk through in examples because in some ways this is all the same. And in some ways it's all not the same time. What is an hour of time? Well, we've described a property of a segment of time based on some periodic segmentation method, like an hour, which is how we divide up um, the rotations of the earth. And so I could say, okay, I've got this hour of time. We all share that reference point because we're all on the globe and we all experience its rotation, which means we all experience periods of light and darkness where the sun is visible and not visible. Um, if I look at an hour, though, an hour is an hour for me and an hour for you and an hour for everybody. Is one hour inherently valuable? Um, if this were the in time movie, the answer to that would be yes. Yes, it would be because literally the hour is currency. Um, in our society where we've created money as an abstraction for time, um, well, it's an abstraction for time and value, um, but I'm going to get to that. You could also say, yeah, this, uh, there's... For each of us, there's a perceptual value of an hour based on how much money we might ascribe to that, that hour. That's one way, right? I'm not saying that's how we all do it. I'm not saying that's how you have to do it. I'm just I'm adding in that's one way you could do it. Alternatively, what is the value of one hour with your newborn child if you're a parent? I'm not a parent, so I don't actually know. Um, I have some friends who are parents, as I mentioned in the last episode, and I have parents. Um, and every parent I've ever met has described being a parent and, and being around your child for special moments as one of the most fulfilling and rewarding experiences that they can have. 
So when you talk about the, the value property, right, of time, I, I, I do think to some degree we get, we get back into that like uh, distinction space where each of us has unique perspective on, you know, beauty, right? Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. So because we all have different eyes, there's 8 billion or however many people are on the planet, different ways of conceiving beauty, which is great. It means that there's lots of beauty to be discovered in one another. That's, I think, one of the beautiful things about time being the base material we share and about time being the denominator. Because, again, we, we share the quantity, and then we can, we can describe the value in terms of context for that particular quantity of time. So I can say, an hour with your child, which we all understand. That means something differently for each of us, probably, but we all understand generally what that is. I could also say, an hour worth $100. And each of us has something, some perception of what that might mean, even though the details might differ. And that's where money ends up becoming just this abstraction layer on top of time um, so that we can exchange more than just our time, right? Because if we just stayed at the base layer, we'd just be using our time up <laughs> with one another and, and in a variety of ways, but not necessarily to do all the things we might want to do. Um, and not just because we've filled up all the time with stuff to do so that we can then do all the stuff we want to do once we've crossed some arbitrary like success goal um value ends up being i think i would describe it as how time gets enriched um by context right so you know we all share the fact that we're born and we all share the fact that we're going to die and we all share the fact that we could you know perceptually divide up segments of time and, and think about life in that way because we don't necessarily want to think in terms of like the one life not as helpful as well i've got this one life and i know i'm gonna die but i don't know how long this life's gonna be so i'll measure earth rotations <laughs> and then i will segment things by earth rotations because i guess things should be segmented um in a way that is um measurable and and, and, and you know i don't know what the i don't it's not i don't think it's just arbitrary right i think it's again i, I, th I do think it's a fundamental part of how we're able to relate to one another is is the fact that we share time now, we can't control time. That fucker's ticking, ticking, ticking. And we can't stop it, slow it. We can't delay the inevitable. We can't make, make it impossible for us to die. Um, you know, maybe. Maybe with science, eventually we'll figure out ways to delay or prolong death. Delay or prolong death? Delay death or maybe even eliminate it. Um, value to me is how you enrich time. So, you know, going back to that example, you've got time. And then you can say time has a, a property like one hour which is the quantity property. And then you can say, well, time also has the quality. You can give it a quality property that, that I would call value, right? But that's context dependent. And this is where like, it's not necessarily reducible. Like if I know the quantity of a time, let's, let's say there's this equation and the equation is time plus value equals money, right? And you could, you could argue that's essentially how economics works with one another, right? And I'm not an economist and this is not like a fucking economic scientific paper or whatever. It's not like an, a formal economic treatise. Um, but, you know, more or less, time plus value equals money. You can't just say, okay, well, then I'll take the money and then I will subtract the value to equal the time it's going to take. Or I can, if I want to figure out the, the value, if I want to solve for value, I'll just take the time and I'll subtract money from it. And then what I'll be left with is value. A, that doesn't make any sense because the, the uh, unit for each variable is not the same. 
Um, however, it also doesn't make sense because the t- value itself is a function. Um, money is also a function um, socially. As a social construction, I think money is also a function. Um, it's, a, it's, it's in part a function of value, um, which is crazy because value itself is a function of things that might you know, include money. And, and they re- re- each function refers to one another, hence not being reducible. Hey, I'd make a great math professor. Value is a function of all kinds of things. Things like context, like, is it an hour with my child? What could be more valuable than an hour with my child? What could be more valuable than standing on a Baltimore rooftop on the 4th of July watching fireworks erupt all over the city um, with, with close friends? What could be more valuable than standing on a, a beautiful beach in, in South Florida or, or in California and watching the sunset over the water? Um, how do you even quantify that value, right? Um, the value of an hour of, of, of a beautiful sunset is, is not something you can like directly compare to the value of an hour with your child or the value of sitting on a train for an hour. Um, not in the same way that, you know, an hour of time in New York is the same as an hour of time in San Diego is the same as an hour of time in London is the same as an hour of time in Johannesburg. Right. Um, and, and similarly with money, you know, a hundred U.S. dollars, and you know, and and whatever, a hundred Canadian dollars, hundred British pounds. These are things that we can create exchange rates for, um, and and to some extent, we do create exchange rates for value value things, but it's fluid. It's not necessarily this like concrete and set in stone thing. So that's sort of how I think about time, uh, and and I like that this movie in time, uh, really just like takes that on the head, you know. Um, so money, right? I hate to break it to you all. Um, I'm not a communist. Um, oh God, I'm cutting out as a dirty capitalist. Um, I don't actually know that I'd call myself a capitalist either. I don't really like labels, um, but I'm not a com. I, I will. Sometimes people will give me a label and I won't deny it. Hopefully you see me as more multidimensional than just that. But, you know, it is true that that's a thing. Um, most economic terms like socialist, capitalist, communist, whatever. I don't know that I like, hmm, I, I, I don't know that I would, would sit well with any particular one of them just being like blanketly applied to me. Um, but you know, I, I lean on a spectrum of those things, um, more, more actually fuck that, fuck that whole thing. Fuck the labels because I, I do think that they are a spectrum that they are labels that describe points on a spectrum that really is about the relationship that you think um, money and time and value should have to one another. Um, and then, you know, I said earlier, you like imagine an equation like money equals uh, time plus value. I, I don't even necessarily that there's like, like that's a plus sign that goes there. It's just, you know, money is a function of time and value. Value is a function of context. Maybe only that. Um, maybe not though. Sometimes, you know, time is a, is a factor in the, the value functions. Sometimes money is a factor in the value function. Um, Time itself is literally just a function of periodicity. So uh, I think that's accurate. That's probably the best way to describe it. So, you know, I guess time in a way is like a constant in this equation. Um, Well, it's a function we could call a constant because we know within the set of periodic functions what might be the time unit. So I don't know that you need to like consider it in the same way that um, you would money or value. And even money, right? Money is just an abstraction on top of time to approximate value. Ooh, I like that. That's really what this is. Money is a 
like an abstraction on top of time to approximate value because we all understand value, but we can't really relate on value because we all see the world differently. Just like we can't all relate on beauty. You know, um, I may think one person is beautiful and you may not think they're beautiful. And that's fundamentally something we just like, we don't relate on that. It's hard for us to exchange on that. It's hard for us to collaborate based on that. Like if I said, Hey, let's go slay this dragon for this person. I think is super beautiful. And you're like, well, I don't think they're beautiful. And dragons are dangerous. So no, no, thank you. And I'm like, what the hell? How am I supposed to impress this beautiful person? If I don't slay this dragon, you're not even going to help me. You're like, not a good wingman. That's awful. You're a terrible friend. And you're like, but they're ugly. Right? So you can't <laughs> get much done using something like beauty or value, which is context and perspective dependent. And so we, we have, okay, well, we've got time, which is this like made up ish construct um, and a function of periodicity that we share. So I can say, Hey, I was standing right here and you were standing right here and 60 minutes went by and we can both be like, yeah, that's, that's true. We both felt that in the same way. Um, not in the same way from like the, again, the enrichment of that, but in the same quantity way. Um, I look at money as just like, it's just this abstraction on top of that. Right. And so um, I, I don't know why I'm even talking about this. I guess it's like, I have been asked recently, you know, what is money anyway? Um, and I, I didn't quite understand it much myself. Um, it really starts to become relevant when you think about like the financial system. Um, and I've spent, you know, I guess, how long did I, I don't know. I worked in the financial sector for a few years. I, I mean, I guess I kind of still do because my, some of my, I'm a consultant now and some of my clients are in the financial sector. What's cool when you go into that world is you realize that money is just made up. <laughs> um, and you knew, you know, if you, if you read a book, you know that, right? Like it's, it's, it's essentially made up, um, but you really see it <laughs> in the financial world. Um, it's, it's made up in the sense that it's like, it really is just a, uh, practically, it's, it's just a matter of like the rules we have around its use and, and its accounting, I guess. It's an, money is just a big accounting trick. Um, <laughs> now, you have some people that talk about um, sound money and blah, right? And maybe I'll get into that. I mean, I'm, a, I, I'm kind of a crypto I'm just not going to shorten anything here because I don't want to confuse anybody. I'm a cryptography nerd. Um, and I think cryptocurrency is really cool because of what it is as an application, what it means as an application of cryptography. Um, and, you know, people who feel strongly one way or another about anything um, money related tend to have an opinion, you know, again, either strongly held opinions about um, uh, cryptocurrency as currency and, and, uh, government-backed currency as currency. Um, and it, I don't know. I, it's just, if you ever work in the financial industry, you kind of see that like, well, it's kind of sort of all made up. So then it just becomes a matter of, for us who are not making it up because we're not the government, um, if we're talking about government-backed money, like what, what can we do with that? How useful is it to us? Um, how much can we ensure accrues to us? Um, and arguably, there are some complications with having super, super rigid money, which is how the government's money works. Um, now, sometimes you want that. There are some factors of stability that go along with that. However, you could say replace it with something similarly um, entrenched in a factor of stability like Bitcoin, um, which, you know, is backed by energy. I promise I'm going to talk about crypto. I'm going to leave it there for now. Um, on a future, I promise on a future episode of the podcast, I will go more into my, my feelings about cryptocurrency. But I, I want to sort of tie a bow on this um, time value money threesome. Um, just because it's, it's sort of, um, 
In some cases, it's preparatory material or whatever that conversation might be. But it's also just philosophically, like you're here. Welcome. You're just here with me, you know, in this podcast. We're in the Just Here Club. We're chilling now. Welcome to the chill zone. We're all here to chill. Um, and is it chilling if somebody has to say we're all here to chill? Oh, I, I like gave myself the heebie-jeebies a bit there. Um, you know, if you want to know what constitutes parts of my philosophy, um, it's very, 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 very important to me that my time be dense. Um, so I use that term dense. I think that's actually the first time I referred to the density of time. Even though before I said the second property of time was value. I think when I refer to time's density, what I mean really is the value I get from the, the value that I imbue in any particular slot of time or the value that I, I measure in any slot of time. Um, I want it to be thick and juicy, thick and uh, juicy with the value. I don't like low value use of time. Um, and so philosophically and, and just kind of under, if you want to understand my priorities in life right now, uh, if you were to meet me today, anything I'm doing is about my time and how I'm using it. And, and you know, that you all understand kind of what I talked about in the last episode, because um, I, I, I sort of, the first two episodes, I think explain and, and get you on the journey that lead you to like this point, which is like time is the most important thing um, or important has connotations that I'm, I'm going to for now hit pause on and say um, time is the most basic thing. It's the denominator. You and I share time. We can relate in time in a way that is ha, in time. That's the name of the movie. We can relate in time in a way that we can't necessarily relate in value because value depends on context. Just like we can't relate in beauty. I, I, in my head, when I hear people say the word value, I replace it with beauty um, because sometimes I think we allow ourselves to believe that value is objective. And so we, we will sometimes talk and act in a way that suggests, well, we all value the same things. And that's disrespectful, I think, to our individuality because we all have a unique lens on the beauty in the world, which means we all have a unique lens on the, the value of the world. I'm not going to tell you what's, what's a valuable way to use your time. Just as I wouldn't want you telling me what a valuable way to use my time is. What I would prefer is that we scrap that shit entirely and we talk in terms of the beauty we see in the world and each other um, and the things that we do, the beauty we want to see in the world and each other and the things we, we do. And then we find, um, we set a table made of gratitude and, and we just share with one another what, what the beauty that we see in uh, our beholding eyes. So, uh, you know, that, <laughs> that's kind of the whole point of this episode, I guess. Uh, something else that's, that's interesting to me um, because it, it, this follows on naturally from the time conversation and it uh, also helps to lead into future conversations we'll have with one another. Technology is this thing that allows us to manipulate the properties of time. So if we go back to the two properties of time, right, or the two ways of thinking about time, we can think about time in terms of its quantity which is something that's more directly relatable from person to person than anything else in existence, I would argue. Um, and then you have value, which is like the context-dependent enrichment of everything, right? But, you know, in relation to time, it's the context-dependent enrichment 
um, or density, as I like to kind of shorten context, context dependent enrichments a lot. So I just, when I say density, that's what I mean. You can shorten that all down, like the context enrichment, uh, wow, what am I saying? Context dependent enrichment. The context dependent enrichment of time is, is the other way to think about it. Technology allows us to manipulate those properties. And, and, and what do I mean by it? And, and, and it's important that we talked about money first, right? I believe that money is an abstraction layer that allows us to approximate value. Um, it's an abstraction layer on top of time, which is like the base layer. But it, the base layer is not interchangeable necessarily between one another. I can't give you an hour. You can't give me an hour. The same hour passes for both of us at the same time. So I can't like bank an hour and then give it to you later. And then that's why we create money because value is this thing that we can't intuitively relate to one another on. And so we create money as a way to say, okay, you've captured an, an hour with a certain density to it, a certain context dependent enrichment over there, which you can store in this made up thing called money. Right. And, and money could be literally whatever we wanted it to be. And then as long as it's relatable, it can't be, it would be harder. It wouldn't necessarily solve anything for it to be, literally anything like if we were trading seashells and, and bartering all over the place that would also just not be super efficient because you might like a pretty seashell and i might like an orange from an orange tree and someone else might like uh you know a plot of arable land in the middle of somewhere um and then you know how do we actually associate <laughs> the difference between these things well i'll tell you what we do what we do in practice is we all basically go back to time as the basics and we say well didn't take you much time to get that seashell and also there's a shit ton of them um if you wanted to turn what might be arable land into a field of say berries for people to consume, that's going to take you a while. Um, so, and then, you know, we just kind of use over time, <laughs> over time, we use over time. Oh God, I crack myself up. We use, uh, we, over time, we like come to this, this shared sense of the, the, what we estimate the value of something to be because of how we perceive it might affect our time. Uh, and then what we do with that, like what the second order effect of that might be for our, our subsequent time. Technology is this cool thing where it allows us to potentially shorten the quantity of time or lengthen it if we wanted that. I don't know why we would. Um, well, actually, no, I take that back. I can totally understand why we might want to, depending on what we're able to do with it while we're lengthening it. Like if we could go into a time chamber and learn a bunch of shit and then come out of it and like only an hour has passed, but in the time chamber we felt like years had passed, we would definitely build something like that. Um, you could also argue that that's shortening time. Because what you've basically just done is subdivide the hour into, uh, you know, multiple years length. But technology is this, this great, beautiful, creative thing we do with one another that allows us to change the, the you know, quantity or our perception of our use of the quantity. And then uh, it allows us to manipulate the value variable. Um, so kind of let, let's go to that. You know, I brought up this arable land in the middle of nowhere. Someone might value, you know for the purpose of, I don't know, planting berries. Let's say you wanted to have a berry farm. Berries are good for you. Um, if you don't believe me, read, um, there's this great book, uh, Proof is in the Plants by Simon Hill. I'll link to that as well in the show notes. Go check it out. It's a good one. Um, if you had the right technology, you could, you could plant and, and harvest this berry farm um, much more easily, for one. I mean, I've not grown a huge farm of berries, but I imagine that there's a certain amount of uh, being out in the hot sun that comes with that and technology allows you to potentially be out in the hot sun less and get the same number of berries, if not more so. And so like that, if you never want to know what the value of technology is for us, it's, it's literally that it's think about anything that would might require you to go be out in the hot sun for some period of time. And then if you could build technology to not be out in the hot sun for that period of time, 
that's that's why we do it you know not necessarily for that i mean i think we did it we you know some of us enjoy being out in the hot sun so but but for whatever any of us doesn't want to be doing with our context dependent um enrichment of our time you know we can build technology that all of us who feel one way about a particular context dependent enrichment and don't want to deal with we can say hey okay well we've got this technology that lets us all not be there without necessarily forcing someone else to be there right so when you think about slavery as as really like slavery is like the worst impediment to human progress there could possibly be because rather than innovating ourselves towards a solution what we've done is we've said well i don't want to do this thing so i'm going to force someone else to and then i'm going to like waste my own time subjugating that person so that they can do this and not kill me or whatever rise up for it god so inefficient um instead we could like i don't know build farming robots or something and then they can go work the berry farm and then no humans have to unless they really really want to which we should also encourage if they if they want um that's kind of the beauty to me of of technology um and when we think about um social structure um i mentioned before that money is this like made up thing it's an abstraction layer on top of time to approximate value and technology lets us to lets us change um the way those functions operate. Well, it doesn't necessarily let us change the way that the time function operates because that's, like I said earlier, it's a constant. I realize when I said that it might not, it didn't quite make sense when I said it. Now I'm coming back to it. I'm saying the reason I, I said it earlier is because now I want you to think of it that way because there's nothing for technology to change with respect to the periodicity of time, unless for whatever reason we decided to make technology that would like have the earth spin faster or have it rotate around the sun more quickly. I don't know why we would do that, uh, but I'm also not an astrophysicist. Maybe there's a good reason. Um, I don't know if somebody wants to at Neil deGrasse Tyson and have him explain to me why we might, would, might do that. I would love to know if there's good reasons for it. Um, intuitively, I feel like that's just, I don't know. My intuition says you don't want to speed the, any of that up. <laughs> not I, like, why would, would you get out of it? Um, I don't know that there'd be a benefit, but again, I'm not an astrophysicist. So, um, Technology lets us do that, and then because it it bends the way these functions operate, it bends the way that the money function operates, it bends the way that the value function operates. It can, it can, it changes the way we might think about those context dependent enrichments. It changes the way we might think about allocation of of time and money towards those things. It ends up just it has this like huge disruptive potential. Um, and I just I don't know. There's something about that that I guess maybe that's part of why what I like about technology is that it, it's if you get, if you're born into a, a place and time where, you know, the context dependent enrichment that's available to you and the ways you can, well, no, that's, that's really all it is, right? Like the context dependent enrichment available to you suffers, right? For no fault of your own, you just got here, you were just born, right? So that, that also says something about the money you can have to approximate that value um, on top of your time just because, you know, let's say you're born into poverty in a place that's impoverished, um, that's very limiting, right? And technology is potentially this, like, equalizing factor, assuming you're able to get to it. Um, so that, you know, in the movie, I'm not going to spoil the plot there. Um, but there's this notion that, like, there's this an existing social structure. And the existing social structure is some people have more time than others. Um, it's cool that they use time for this because it was just money. People would just be like, well, that's just how life is. And this is a deep socialist movie about uh, how the rich are awful. And you know, rich people don't like that. And lots of people do like that and whatever. That's not the point. The point is, 
um, when you when you think about it in a time lens, it, it, it makes a little bit more sense. And then, you know, you just paper on. It's paper thin, right? This paper thin abstraction called money on top of time. And you say, well, this, these things together are just an abstraction for value. And we only really need the abstraction because there's not just one person on the planet. And we don't all value, you know, the, we don't only value the same things. We have a diversity of outlooks and a diversity of things we value. Therefore, uh, we needed this abstraction layer so we can relate to one another in a way that saves us all time and hopefully enriches all of our time so that we are spending more of it being grateful to one another and, and sharing in the beauty we all see. Um, technology has like, is this potential equalizing factor, except um, when you think about a structure in society, um, you know, it just, it's not fun necessarily for people who have uh, found their own place in the social structure, which ironically, it can certainly operate similar to technology and being this like bending of the functions. Um, for instance, you have a certain social status that potentially allows you to like bend the money function and bend the value function a little bit, right? Um, technology can upset that. Um, and so you see this in the movie, right? Um, that's why I wanted to go back to the movie, not to give you a plot point, but to go back to the movie, there's a, a line, there's a point in the movie where one of the timekeepers, so think of a timekeeper like a time cop. So if currency, the currency in this movie is time, then the timekeepers are like the time cops who make sure that time doesn't go in the wrong places and doesn't get stolen and all that jazz. Um, there's a point where one of the timekeepers says, um, he's like, you know, I have given 50 years to this job and I'm not, to, I'm not about to see those years go to waste, right? And essentially what he's wrestling with is you've got some folks who are saying like, we want to we wanna change the system, it's not fair because systems tend to end up not fair. Um, and, you know, he is sort of the, you know, he's just the, the poor guy, essentially. He's not time rich. The, but interestingly, the, the timekeepers are not time rich. Um, and I guess there's a part of me that just, I, I feel like in any society where you've got like a rigid social hierarchy, the, the people who enforce the rigidity of the hierarchy are usually not the most well off in the hierarchy per se. Um, I don't know any place in the United States, for instance, where the cops are like the richest people in society. There are certainly places where the cops can make good money, um, but I don't know if there's any place where they're like the richest people in society. And I, don't, I think there's just something peculiar and interesting about the fact that when you think about a potentially unfair or unjust or whatever you want to call it, however you, however you might want to condemn a system. And, and as I mentioned in the first episode, I want to hold condemnation in high regard. So I'm not even, I'm not today going to go into like a condemnation of any particular system, but it is interesting to me that uh, in systems that people perceive as being unfair or, or predatory or oppressive, uh, the, the, the boots, on the ground, the grunts who uphold that system also tend to be like not at the top of the ladder. You know, they certainly might be in terms of privilege and, and access, but uh, not in terms of resources, not in terms of context dependent value. And if anything, it's like, it's like, it's almost, it's almost doubly weird, doubly uh, poisonous, doubly, that's kind of, if I call it poisonous, that's kind of a condemnation, isn't it? I, I sort of, I guess I do condemn using, uh, people with who have less money value time to enforce a system that isn't sort of equitably allowing for time, money, and value to be enjoyed. Um, and then like, you know, the fact that, you know, I kind of talked about the value of an hour with your kids. It's also those people that are going to like lose out on the, that potential hour with their kids. So um, I suppose I'll say thank you to people who uh, enforce those things. Cause it's, 
I don't know necessarily know that they do it out of like a particular joy in their heart. I think it's just an opportunity and they, they take it similar to how I think, you know, some folks who get involved in trying to um, bring down a system as it exists or just, you know, not giving any shits about the way that that system's decided its hierarchy should exist. And in some cases it may just be like a, you know, fuck it. <laughs> what else is there? So yeah, this timekeeper basically has this like moment where, you know, he's, he's, he's demonstrating his loyalty to the system and the, the, stru- the social structure. The social structure doesn't give a fuck about him, but he's, you know, he's loyal to it. And you, you sort of see this too, um, where lots of people who are out there, you know, we all basically, we all can end up in this place where we feel the need to defend a social structure. Um, and this can start to happen, you know, it can happen either just because you're sort of taught that it can also happen because, you know, you've got something new, something uh, innovative, something revolutionary coming along, some technology. And, you know, I kind of talked to before about how technology has this ability to bend the way these functions operate. Sometimes that happens. And, and the, even, you know, people who aren't even benefiting from the existing hierarchies, social hierarchies, which are not necessarily directly tied to like the operation of these functions. I don't believe that anyway. I don't believe that a so, any social hierarchy is necessarily dependent or, or necessarily like defined by the operation of the money and the value function. Um, I think it's kind of arbitrary actually, but not necessarily, it's like loosely arbitrary. Um, you know, you start to see people defend against disruption to the social structure. And, you know, I think there's like an inherently human, um, you know, we prefer the, the fucked up stability we know over the, over any uncertainty at all. <laughs> um, which is, you know, some, some people do like that. Right. And, and you know, you can, you can sort of explore like, why, why is that? Um, and so I'm going to plug another book. Uh, I plugged a movie and, and now I plugged, I think at the earlier beginning, I talked about, um, case against reality by Donald Hoffman. And then, uh, proof is in the plants by Simon Hill. And now I'm about to, I'm, I'm about to plug, um, men, machines and modern times by Elting Morrison. Um, this book is great. So this is another one of those books that I heard about initially listening to another podcast. I, I mentioned on the first episode that I like to listen to uh, Sam Harris's making sense podcast. And he did this episode with Mark Andreessen where Mark, uh, brings up this book, men, machines and modern times. And, um, he talks about how this book, um, which is a pre information age book that talks about, uh, it explores why humans, uh, why societies, why cultures, social structures might resist innovation and technological change. Um, and you know, I think, uh, in that episode, Mark and Sam kind of talk about how they talk through the stages the guy talks through, which is like, you know, first it's, you know, they don't know it's a thing. And then, you know, they sort of, um, laugh at it and then they kind of name call you and attack you. Um, and, and, you know, whatever, that's, that's cool. Right. Um, for me, what I, what I really took away from this book when I read it, that was cool. It was kind of interesting to hear some of the stories he uses. Um, the author does bring up some anecdotes that I won't relay here, but you should really go read the book. Um, I, I said earlier, like make a note to, re- to go watch in time, make a note to read that book. Um, cause it's, I think it's kind of profound, um, in it, he talks about how, um, you know, he, so he makes this association and I agree with it. So I'm going to, I'm going to also make the assertion um, or this, this association with when we, we talk about technology coming along and like disrupting something and, and disrupting the social structure because of the ways that technology can bend, you know, money functions and, and value functions. Um, you know, he kind of poses this question of like, why is it that people are so, why do people do this? Why do we do this in our social structures? And I think he actually does is very charitable 
this is why I like this book. It's not a book that is filled with condemnation. I don't like condemnation. So um, it's just, it's so boring to condemn something, right? And ah, it's bad. I, I fucking hate that. <laughs> so you're not going to get much of that here on this podcast. Ideally, none at all. Um, I'll, I like to, I'll maybe every once in a while, you know, I'll wag my finger a little bit at a, me- a poorly designed mechanism, but I'm not going to be out here full of rage. This is, we're about gratitude here. Um, and I'm grateful for this book because he takes a very um, uh, charitable view, right? And, and, and I think um, self, like a, a view that, that aims to put itself in, in the shoes of the, the people who might see this. And so he kind of explores why is it that social groups and social structures, social structures resist change and technological change. And he, he sort of walks you through these steps of, well, to have a stable structure, there's all these properties that are good for that. And being good at stable and beneficial, widely beneficial, isn't necessarily the same as being good at innovation. And we all know this. I mean, we see this everywhere. Um, and, and then he, you know, kind of takes it a step further of, you know, exploring, you know, why is it that people do this? And, and he kind of comes to this, um, uh, the question he sort of asks is, it's like, and I have the book here, so I'm going to just read it. It's what, if anything, may it suggest about the general process by which any society attempts to meet changing conditions, right? And that's, that's what he says. That's the question he sort of asks about how it is, you know, that we can resist these things, right? Um, and the conclusion, uh, conclusion might be too strong. Um, I don't know that I don't want to misrepresent this book, but um, one of the points he brings up is that he noticed that there's a difference between what people identify with. And that ends up leading to some of the, the tension between people who might be pushing for innovative change and people who are not, and people who might be defending a social structure and people who are not. And so um, I'm just going to make an example that's not from the book because I, I don't want to spoil the book. I want you to go read it. Um, in, in our you know, society, in, in, in the society in the United States, um, we might, you, you get people that might associate with, for instance, um, law enforcement. Um, we talked about police officers earlier and the timekeepers in, in time sort of are like the cops in that movie. So let's talk about cops. I used to be a cop. I love cops. So um, I, I think that people, no one, no one decides to go into that. Well, I don't want to say nobody because I don't know, but the vast majority of people go into law enforcement for like pretty virtuous reasons. There's always non-virtuous reasons that are like kind of selfish. Like I think everybody that does it wants to protect people and wants to like help society and, and do good things. Everybody like it's, and I think it's, it's a very sincere thing. I don't, I'd never met anybody um, in my own law enforcement experience who was like, yeah, I'm just here to, to be here. Like nobody does that. There are, there are other easier jobs that pay just as poorly <laughs> because you know, being a cop's not exactly the, the most glamorous, well-paying job in the world. Um, there are other equally poorly playing, paying ways to be lazy. Um, without any of the physical risk. So people go into that because I think, and, and I think it in, in my experience, people go into that because they want to protect people. They want to do whatever. Um, now, when a, you have social structures changing, right, either because of technology or whatever, um, sometimes what ends up happening is that the police can be involved in like maintaining the social order. Now. I want to, it's important to clarify that it's not that they do that because they just fucking want to, <laughs> you know, the whole idea behind law enforcement is they're enforcing laws. So what ends up happening is you have a, a well-functioning and stable social order, and then we make laws, right? And then law enforcement is just, they just enforce the laws. 
um, some, because technology can kind of lead to these advances and, and movements, um, changes and shifts in the, the money and value functions, you end up basically in that you can frequently end up in this place where technology's brought you um, tension between the existing social order. You may have laws propping that up and then whatever the hell is happening to <laughs> save people time, to enrich their time in different ways, to shift the flows of value and money. And if someone feels threatened by that, um, then, you know, they may, you know, they may react in a negative way against the, the innovation. Right. And, and I think this is, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm only pointing at law enforcement because you do see, right. This, um, self-identification with the structure and the system to some degree in, in law enforcement. Um, despite the fact that many, many cops, I mean, you know, again, I was just saying every cop pretty much goes into it from a protection perspective. Um, but they don't necessarily identify with, you know, being a protector, they, you know, they identify with some combination of like the protector and the social order. Right. And, and to, to make it clear, the social order is good. I mean, that's even in, you know, Mr. Morrison explains in this book, like the qualities that lead to uh, a widely beneficial and, and stable social order are kind of the qualities that would resist innovation. And you sort of want there to be that tension because, you know, oftentimes new technology, new, whatever comes along and it's not the best thing. Um, and it wouldn't be widely beneficial, and we may not know at, at, at a certain point in, in its nascent stages. Um, but he kind of he kind of hinges on like this: if if people are identifying with particular aspects of the structure as it exists, those folks might end up resisting change more. Um, and so I think you know you can see you see this a lot in, in government, um, and so that's why I kind of like, I mean I brought up the cops. This timekeeper kind of demonstrates that. Um, I was also just watching. Um, I just finished season three of billions um great show one of definitely one of my top favorite shows that i've watched recently um and <laughs> i don't know there's a point where i like billions is the show about this this hedge fund billionaire and he's basically in the spat against this u.s attorney um and there's a lot of points where i'm just like i don't understand why this u.s attorney has such a hard on for this guy right like it, it, this obsession with getting him, you know, and, 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 and to be fair, like the dude's a criminal. So <laughs> I guess in that sense, I understand the, the desire to put a criminal behind bars. Um, but it's, it's, it's like this, there's this, like, uh, this notion of like, how dare this guy think that he can operate in a way that is so irreverent of the system we have established. Um, and that's the part that I'm like, that just, oh, it's so shitty, you know? And like, yeah, he, Bobby Oxrod is a criminal, whatever, but Bobby Axelrod is the name of the hedge fund billionaire in billions. Um, but there's something like so onerous about identifying so strongly with that sentiment. And, and it's, it is a, it is, it is also like what is behind the condemnate condemnation sentiment, sentiment, which is why I mean, I'm kind of anti condemnation here. I condemn condemnation. Um, let's, let's use gratitude, not condemnation, but you know, there's this sort of, um, uh, pervasive uh, not pervasive perverse like disgusting in my eyes like this weird um sort of you know how dare this person um <laughs> disrupt this order or, or fly, really just kind of not give a shit about what this order has to think about his actions um and you know you don't you, you kind of maybe want that a little bit you don't necessarily want everyone to be someone that's like fuck the social order right um well i do but i'm kind of an extremist um but, you know, it's just, it's interesting to me that I think that's the same kind of attitude that like this timekeeper has when he's like, I've given 50 years to this job and I'm not about to see those years go to waste. Like, bro, who hurt you? 
um, this the 50 years you gave to this system and, and upholding it, I, I, if, if you have someone coming along who's trying to change the social order, and maybe that's not even what they're trying to do, and like this is where you know, the links in the chain end up getting sort of missed as we move, move further and further out, as we zoom out from the things that are easily relatable and understandable across our um, individuality with one another. We can run into the fact that like what one person perceives as a fundamental threat to what they've spent a lifetime protecting, that person may just be doing what they see as a good thing, right? It could be like, well, hey, I've, I've discovered this technology that's going to mean that we don't need to have shit tons of people wasting their time um, or, or not even wasting it, right? But like, we don't need to have shit tons of people engaged in low density uses of their time because there's this technology that allows them to not have to do that. And I just want to help those people. And then someone who sees that chain of events as a threat to an existing social order says, well, you're like attacking my life's work. I don't know. I'm like, personally, I'm like, there's like a step you skipped there. Um, and it's, it's the step where I take my eyes off and I put your eyes on, right? It's the step where I can't, I'm not you. I can't see you in your life. And you know, after that amount of time, you may not be able to, or want to make that change. Right. Um, so (laughs) I don't know. It's, it's kind of interesting to kind of watch that, uh, that play out. And I think where, uh, Mr. Morrison gets it right. This Elting Morrison guy in this book gets it right. And it's like people start to identify with parts of the structure, right? Um, maybe not initially they didn't. They they identified more with a, a spirit, um, and and so he kind of talks about how um, the the innovator doesn't identify with the system. Usually, the a lot of times these innovations come from um, essentially like outsiders to the social structure, and so because of the unique perspectives they bring, where they they don't have a draw to be identifying with the social structure. They're able to identify ways to improve upon it. Um, and then, you know, a lot of times those folks identify with like the spirit of disruption and revolution, right? They're like, I, I want to shake up the social structure. So they, then they start to identify with the, 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 um, you know, this, this disruption, you know, and, and the, the thought of being a disruptor. Uh, and, and I think there's an element of like that too can be, there's a certain level of like extremism that, that comes with, you know, you can reach with all these different perspectives where, you know, if you're on the social structure side, you end up building this disgust for anything that might threaten the social structure because you identify with it. And if you're on the disruptor side, you start to, you know, build up this dis- disgust for um, anything that might uh, prevent the change you want to see from happening. And I think what, you know, I think it'd be cool if we all kind of just took a step back, <laughs> took a step back and, and, and really just were grateful for the beautiful parts of these different approaches and, and really the beautiful parts of our, our evolution over time. And, and then, you know, I think it's much easier to do um, as Mr. Morrison recommends in this book. Um, or I guess he kind of makes the case that I think he makes the case successfully that, well, if we, if we strive to identify with adaptability in times of change, um, you know, we end up being uh, pretty robust and, and resilient uh, against some of the, ne- the downsides of, you know, widely beneficial social order and some of the downsides of like disruptive innovation. Um, I guess, you know, robust and resilient is, is really just like a, what I'm really trying to get at is like you end up being um, anti-fragile, right? Um, and that's good because it means you can have a widely beneficial social order um, and you can innovate when you need to. You can do all things that you need to do in, in the best form when you, you kind of build up this anti-fragility that 
you know, you ha- you do have to work towards because naturally, I think, uh, for whatever reason, and then he doesn't really go. I don't know if he does. I don't remember if he goes into this in the book, but for for whatever reason, we don't. <laughs> we're far more prone to like the identifying with the piece of the inanimate social order or structure, or identifying with the movement of disruption, um, and then letting that like fucking take our hearts into the flames and and into like you know rapturous, passionate war with one another. Um, when re- in reality, like we still do all share the same things. Um, and so, you know, I guess maybe there's a point there too, where, you know, when you start to feel yourself a tinge in your heart of, of passion and anger towards something you're against because of how you might be identifying and you may not know that that's what's happening, but you know, anytime you're feeling any kind of anger, maybe just, you know, maybe take a step and say, Hey, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, which means this person that I am angry at potentially is, is has a perspective on beauty that I don't have. And if I murder them in my rage, I'll never potentially get to see what that beauty is. Um, and then, you know, if you, you take that, that understanding, which I think is, I'd like to think is a, something we can commonly understand and share with one another. You take that and you just apply it to, um, to value. You say, okay, now I'm going to swap beauty and value. I'm going to consider them interchangeable. And when I think something is not valuable or I see something that I consider to be threatening, but someone else thinks is valuable, Maybe I take that same perspective instead of being against this thing that someone thinks is valuable instead of being against, you know, some potential innovation or some potential change or even um, being against some potential social order, right? Or established rigidity in, in social structure before being against fucking anything, you know, let me, let me just think about the fact that like, perhaps there's a value here that I am not understanding because value is fundamentally like context dependent enrichment on time. So because I don't, I don't have the same context as anyone else, um, I'm not anyone. I'm something different than anyone else. You know, to give your, you know, live in the enough respect for yourself to think that like, hey, I, I have a unique perspective, which means everything else, all, you know, everyone else also has a unique perspective and, and therefore there's unique value someone might see in something that I may not appreciate. And at least, you know, I guess give yourself and give, give other folks that grace. Then, you know, I think we, we end up all having time, more of it in, in the quantity uh, property in the quantity dimension. And then also it's, it's, we all get to have time that I think we each individually see is, um, uh, more beautifully enriched because, you know, now we're, now we're sitting at this gratitude table. We're sharing the beauty we see We're we're trying to identify with adaptability, um, and compassion and gratitude. And, and from that, we're able to, I think, get much further together. And, you know, then we can kind of realize, uh, the potential that comes with being able to destroy the planet many times over. And like, maybe we can turn that shit into, being able to save the planet many times over. So that's uh oh my God, that was a lot. This is a long episode. Um, all my episodes to this point have been under an hour and this is going to top out maybe a little bit above an hour. So um, thank you all for, for being here. Um, I hope you're all doing good. I hope you're all doing well out there. Um, uh, you know, these are tough times. So um, hopefully you're finding something to be grateful for and hopefully you're able to enjoy some of the things I've referenced here. Um, you know, in time and, you know, these books, Case Against Reality and Proofs in the Plans and Man, Machines and Modern Times. And hopefully you're able to take some of that. And if, if not just enjoy, you know, you know, take from parts of this idea buffet that I've been eating on and chew on them yourselves, you know, if not that, then maybe just escape from, you know, whatever else, maybe just enter into, I don't want to say you're escaping, maybe just try on a different perspective by watching this movie or reading some of these books. Um, or you know, do none of that and just kind of reflect on it in your own life or don't even do that. Um, 
yeah, that's uh, that's all I got for us today. Uh, thank you for being here. As I said, if you're interested in learning more about the podcast, you can find us on Twitter at Just Here Club. You can also find us on the internet, <laughs> on the internet, where you're listening to this at justhere.club, which is the website uh, address. And on that website, you can find uh, links to all the podcast platforms your heart might desire. That's like Apple Podcasts and Spotify and Google and all that nonsense. Um, or you can listen to and subscribe to the podcast so that you get updates on when it's coming out. Um, you can put your email in there too and email when the podcast comes out. You know, there's all kinds of ways to stay on top of things or don't stay on top of it and let the podcast be this happy little thing you see pop up in your feed, hopefully, because the algorithms might be gracious to us or, you know, hit subscribe so that that happens. Um, anyway, that's it. Thank you all. I hope you have yourselves a wonderful week and uh, thank you. Thank you for all that you're up to. Thank you for being you. 